the great 50 days of Easter, a time when we look for the power and presence of resurrection at work in the world, and we name it and claim it as that. You have just witnessed that. 28 sixth graders saying yes to Jesus, saying, my family and my church has, has helped me get to this point, but now the next step is mine to take. And they have testified to the work of God in their lives. These early disciples about whom we will read were told to stop teaching, stop preaching, stop, stop proclaiming that good news. They couldn't be quiet. Jesus said if they were quiet, even the stones would cry out. But it's a new day. Resurrection and the empty tomb created a new way. From the book of Acts, we, we pick up where the disciples are standing in front of what I assume was a group in a lot of black robes, <laughs> their own council. And it says in the fifth chapter of Acts, when they had brought them, they had them stand before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. You here have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles, they answered by saying, we must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus who you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of, the, of sins. And then they said this, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. By the time we get to this reading in Acts where Peter and the first disciples, the early apostles, they were in trouble. They were standing before a church council, a church trial, really, and we don't have to look very far to know how this trial is going to turn out, right? That same council, that same high priest, these same religious leaders had had Jesus standing in front of them. They turned him over to the state. Jesus stood in front of the state. Between the church and the state, they decided this man is way too controversial. He's taking up and eating supper with all the wrong people. This, this Jesus fellow, he's pushing against all of us and we don't like it. Let, you know what we do when, when we run into something we don't like or agree with? We try to get rid of it. We try to silence it. We try to keep it in the dark, in a tomb. So I'm thinking about these first disciples and how just a few days prior to this text, you know where they were? They were locked away. The gospel lesson that's paired with this reading from Acts is the latter part of the Easter story. Easter morning, you have Mary, you have the disciples running to the tomb. It's, it's a great morning. He is risen indeed. We celebrated it last week. That evening, those disciples, they were behind locked doors. Why? Were they fearful of Rome? Maybe, probably. 
Were they fearful of the Jews, the same ones who had come after Jesus? Probably. But I can't help but also think that they might have been a little fearful of Jesus himself, the one whom they abandoned, betrayed, sold out, left to fend for himself. I think they were afraid Jesus might show up behind those very locked doors. And sometimes we, we fall into that same type of trap, that same tomb behind those same doors and say, man, Jesus, if he shows up, he's going to be so ashamed of me. He's going to come down hard on me for the things that I have done and not done, the things I've said and, and not said. But you know what happened on that first Easter evening? Jesus came through those locked doors. What's the first thing that Jesus said to him? Do you remember? Peace. Not, you got what's coming to you, or I'm, a, I'm embarrassed by you, or I'm ashamed of you, but peace. And then he breathed on him. It's something we see in our story that we share with our Jewish brothers and sisters. In Genesis chapter 2, the, the dirt was lifted up by God, and God breathed life into it, and he called it good. <laughs> Very good, actually, as the new people were formed. And so John sort of picks up these Genesis resonance, these tones, these overtones, and he breathes into this new creation, this new body. And I think what he's getting at is... No more tombs. No more Good Fridays. No more doubts. No more shame. No more guilt. No more lack of courage or failure of nerve. It's time to get up and to get out, to unlock and to go and to witness. And so these disciples about whom we have just read, they're in trouble, good trouble, they're in trouble because they've been too successful. Over 3,000 people have Join the church. Can you imagine that a religious organization would be upset about that? They started healing people. There was even an account where things were going so well that the sick and the infirm were brought out into the streets just hoping that, that Peter's shadow would, would fall on someone and heal that person. That's how powerful this new day has been. But those in power, those in control, they gave in to their own fear, fear of losing that power. Scripture says they were jealous, envious. So Peter and the other disciples, they stand in this moment. Who do we obey? If we obey Jesus and keep proclaiming, it might get us killed. If we obey the state, then we've done nothing more than rolled him right back in the tomb, sold him out, spat on him, denied him, and abandoned him. They stand in this moment. You know something I believe that we learned from the early disciples, and we'll see this throughout Eastertide. I think the hard part of the Christian faith is not dying for Jesus, but living for Jesus. Confirmands, I want you to hear that. The hard part, we talked last night. They sat right there. We went through all of the moving parts that you just saw. We, we had a rehearsal. That's why it flowed so swimmingly well just now. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. 
And I reminded them of something. I reminded them of this sacred space. They said it in their creed, we believe that Jesus was fully human and fully divine and came to unite all of us. We have this massive arch here. It represents the partnership between the human and the divine. It's one of the strongest places in the entire sanctuary. And it's under this arch where the human and the divine meet that the holiest, most defining moments of our entire lives happen. We have communion here. We baptize human beings into the family of God under this arch. We have weddings here. We have transfers of membership into the life of our church and from the church militant to the church triumphant when we celebrate the life of a saint. So many of our defining moments happen beneath this archway. Many of you were baptized right here. You were confirmed right here. You'll be married right here. Your funeral might be right here. Why is that so powerful? Because we, it reminds us that we all, we stand in a moment. We live in a moment where we're called to witness to these things, as Peter said. We've, we are witnesses to these things, that Christ is not dead, but is up and is raising to new life, all of us. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises all of us, the body of Christ, to new life. We're not going back in the rearview mirror. It's all ahead of us now. The new mission, the new promise of today, and tomorrow, these early disciples, they were willing to die for it, but more than that, they were willing to live for the faith that they proclaimed. There's gonna be other councils before whom our students have to stand. There's gonna be councils of friend groups and athletic clubs and recital groups coaches, teachers, there's going to be a lot of, there already are a lot of authority figures in your, in your life. You're going to have to stand in a moment and decide, who do I listen to? I have so many voices coming at me right now. To whom do I listen? You're going to have to stand in that moment of unpopularity because being a Christian means sometimes you're unpopular because you stand up for the one that cannot stand up for himself or herself. And you speak into hard truths, hard reality, saying, that's not right. And you say, I believe this. And in the moments when life gets chaotic at home and, and in the arena and at school and when the waves come and the winds howl, you stand in that moment and you say, I believe. I believe I'm part of a story that's bigger than myself. I believe I'm part of a family that's bigger than my own. I believe people come to church and churches all over the world every week because they want to hear a message that they're not hearing anywhere else in the world. They want somebody to witness, someone to testify that 
all the doubt and the pain and the anxiety and stress and all the tombs and all the change and, and all the diagnosis. It just can't be the end of the story. That can't be all that there is. And then I just hope that it'll go viral today, the 28 students who stood up there and said, I believe, I want to tell you a different story. I want to tell you about a story that started 2,000 years ago. And really before that, with the creation of the world, a story we've inherited of God's redemption and grace and mercy. I believe people are looking for that story. They're longing to hear that story on Sundays, every time we come to church. But I believe so many more people are longing to hear that story, that message between Sundays. And they need to hear a story that is dripping in love and conviction and grace, and it possesses the power to transform their burdens. That's what, the enti- that's what all of us are looking for. Give me something. Give me something to tap into that's going to change my story that will allow me to change my corner, my corner of the world. See, the way that you transform communities is by witnessing to these things. So I don't know where, where you'll go after you leave church here today, but I hope part of what you say is, let me tell you what I saw at my church today. Let me tell you about the 28 students who took a step forward in their faith and said, this is mine now. I know, you, I know my church is not going to leave me, but this is mine, and I'm going to go testify to it. The word when Peter said, we are witnesses to this, he's saying we are martyrs to this. That's the word in the Greek, we are martyrs. You know what a martyr is? A martyr is someone willing to die for something in which they believe. So I want to ask students, I want, want to ask all of us, to whom and about what are you willing to testify even if it kills you? There's not a high probability that we will die for testifying to our faith or be put on trial for it, but witnessing to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, it might cause a different death, loss of friends, It might cause us to crucify old values so that Christ can resurrect new ones. It might cause us to mortify or to put back in the tomb our time and talents and treasure if it's not glorifying God. I remember a such uh, event several years ago when I was serving as associate pastor here and we were preparing for this very moment and a mother of a confirmand from just two years prior uh, pulled us to the side, pulled the clergy seat, and she said, I need to tell you a story about my son. You know, he's, he was, uh, I guess, 15 at the time, and he had gone on a youth retru- uh, retreat with a different church, different denomination, beautiful setting, all of the lights, all of the, the music, the great talks from a uh, big-name speaker who had come in, and then it came time to come down uh, to the shoreline, into the water, and they were having an altar call, and all, all these students flocked, saying, I want to be baptized, and it just looked like something out of the book of Revelation. You know, all the great saints were lining up to be baptized, you know, down to the river to pray. The music was playing. It was great. But our confirmand, who had been through this whole process, stood on that shoreline and wouldn't go down to the water to be baptized. And they were all saying, come on, come on, come on, everybody's doing it. And that night when they were reflecting, why didn't you go down? Why didn't you go be baptized? And he said, well, my church told me that when I was baptized as a child, Jesus made a promise to me 
to never leave me. No matter how many times I might walk away from Jesus, Jesus would never leave me. And because Jesus made that promise, and because I believe Jesus Christ doesn't break promises, I only have to be baptized one time. And he said, I learned that in confirmation. He stood in that moment and said, his grace is sufficient for me. I am a child of God, as so many of you have put on your stoles. I've also thought about the witness of one of my colleagues who has stood under this archway for nine years and poured herself into generation to generation of student who's going out into the world and changing the world in so many remarkable ways. Jillian, Reverend Walters, has stood here and testified, preached, proclaimed, and poured into your lives the hope that has called her out of the waters of baptism and into ministry. So I ask, what, what will you do with that? How will you pay that forward? I wondered about the next time that you all will stand here about six years from now. It'll be Senior Recognition Sunday. And I've wondered what will happen. What will you face between now and then? What will you see? To whom will you listen? What councils will tell you? Stop testifying to all of that. What mark will these students leave on our story? And what mark will we leave on their story? I'm going to ask you all to do something with me. You see the back of your bulletin there where all the names are of the confirmands. If you'll just turn there and if you'll just indulge me for a minute. If you'll just place your hand right there on all those names. Just place your hand on the names of all these students. I want us to pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, in the same way that you opened heaven and poured out your Holy Spirit on the first disciples, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these confirmands whom we bless in your name. They are ministers of the Most High God because of their baptism. They have stood in this moment and professed faith, and we have witnessed to these things. I pray that we will take their witness, the light of Christ, the promise of resurrection into the world. For so many are longing for hope and for meaning and for purpose. Bless these confirmands and their families. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Let the church say amen. Amen. amen.